Everyone is a character. All characters are Tatiana. Conclusion, Tatiana is everyone. You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Stephanie. And in this episode, we are discussing in depth episode seven of season three of Orphan Black Community of Dreadful Fear and Hate. Once again, quite the title. Quite the title. As far as spoilers, no spoilers for future episodes, including nothing from the previous previews for next week. And there's a little bit of a break after last episode. We we get sort of like a, a I don't know, like a an emotional cool down episode. Does that make sense? <laughs> no, I agree. And we did get an email from Tom who said he found this week's episode to be a bit of a letdown, but said it might just be in contrast to last week's episode. And and I think that's fair. This that that could this episode could feel like a letdown compared to last last week's, but. They're two very different episodes to me, and I think they are almost equally, if not equally, as good at doing what they set out to do. Yeah, my my dad wasn't home to watch the episode, and so he was asking me, like, well, is this week's episode as good as last Like, Or, or maybe it was just like, it's not as good as last week's episode, is it? <laughs> and I'm like, well, it's a different kind of episode, because, yeah... They set out to make something a little bit lighter to sort of, I think, help deal with all the heavy stuff that happened in the last two episodes. So, And while there was plenty of character stuff in last week's episode as well, it was really a fueling the plot along episode. It gave us information. It tied up some storylines. It furthered some little storylines. This one is very much a character-driven episode. That is true. Yes. Which, of course, means that it focuses heavily on Allison and Donnie. I was pleased that we got the scene in the beginning of Donnie monitoring Allison. Yes. Because Orphan Black is actually pretty good at doing this, where they will go back to a little storyline and kind of answer a question you might have had, but they'll do it really quickly. Mm-hmm. And then kind of move on. Like... What's the situation with Allison and the monitoring since Donnie kind of had that fallout with with Dyad last season? And I guess they don't know he shot he shot Dr. Leakey. But, you know, what's the whole deal with that since he knows now? And so now we know he's monitoring her by, like, taking her blood pressure and getting stats about her health from her. Because this is something we had actually wondered about not that long ago. Was it was it last week even? Mm-hmm. Yep. Where we were wondering, we were wondering what the who all had monitors still. Exactly. And so this sort of explains that and also I think ties back into the end of season one, where Allison sort of signed the agreement with Dyad for them to back off, which who knows how accurate (laughs) whatever Dyad was saying then, too. But, you know, I think this sort of is like the other side of that, maybe. But mostly the Allison Donnie storyline this episode was kind of like the the other... I'm going to mess up this expression. The other coin dropping? That doesn't make sense. What is it? The other side of the coin? Okay, maybe. It's the other side of the coin to... Or the other 
shoe dropping is the other. There we go. It's the shoe. I, I, was I wasn't sure which one shoe. you were going for. <laughs> I'm not. It was the shoe I wanted. Okay. So this is the this is the other shoe dropping in regards to the drug dealing. Is we've seen them be fairly successful at their their startup and using the soap as a cover, and this is them entering the big leads and facing some truly dangerous people and kind of messing up a bit. Which you kind of knew was going to happen, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't just like randomly decide to become a drug dealer and everything go fine. (laughs) Especially when Donnie was being sent in with Jason to deal with with Pouchy. You knew something was not going to go right for Donnie. Well, because we've seen Pouchy before. And that didn't turn out so well. (laughs) Which made me happy. I liked that they brought back Pouchy. I believe I made a noise when they mentioned his name. (laughs) I don't doubt it. But Donnie was just, he felt like he was doing so well. He broke out his Portuguese and he was trying to be all suave and charming. And then you, you, you could see it coming, right? As soon as you saw that his envelope looked exactly the same as Allison's envelope, you knew the envelopes were not going to be correct. Pretty much. I mean, the way the way things tend to go for Donnie, it was just not gonna it was not gonna end well. I feel like though that Allison being Allison, she would have put different colored binder clips on the envelopes. I feel like the the envelopes would have been labeled very clearly. Well, maybe she's learned her lesson after she got caught with those bin taking the bins out of her house, labeled things like purple drink, and she ran into somebody. Like maybe, maybe she learned a lesson from overly labeling. But it seems like Allison would want to indicate them in some way. Well, I right? mean, she would have at least labeled the one with her required signatures and things. I okay, fair. You know, labeled That'd the one a- that's legal. <laughs> yeah, fair. Okay, fair. But yeah, I think we're getting at the same thing, though. Because of Allison being who she is, I feel like she would have more clearly distinguished which envelope was which. Exactly. Because it doesn't surprise me that Donnie wouldn't check. Yeah. (laughs) That's not surprising, but no, I would think that Allison would label, yes. Label or indicate in some manner. Because I just imagine her having binder clips set that came with pink and blue and purple and green and, you know... She could have used other color binder clips to indicate which envelope was which. It's true. In my head, this is what Allison's desk looks like. (laughs) I'm sure it's true. I did also find it interesting, though, that, uh, you know, Donnie made the comment before about, you know, your man is savage jealous, Mrs. Hendricks. And I think we actually see that's completely true in this episode. He said that last week, right? After the twerking? Yes. Yes, that was last week. Yeah, that was not very attractive, Donnie. The very possessive kissing of Allison in front of Jason. Uh, That kind of was gross. It was. And doesn't Jason make some comment about how, yes, you just, you've marked your territory or something like that? I think he says, consider your territory pissed on or something like that. He says pissed on. (laughs) I remember that much. Yeah, I was thinking so too. There's lots of... Lots of talking about... uh, Urine. Yes. (laughs) Lots of urine in this episode. (laughs) The word piss gets used a lot. Like a lot. And there's the implied implied piss, or I guess there could be some implied feces, depending on what happened to Donnie during the whole nose near the blade situation. When he asked for the bathroom. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
through a lot of watching Donnie interact with Pouchy, though, I just kept wanting him to shut up. But that's not Donnie's way. I know, but I just want him to be smarter about things. And he doesn't listen to me when I shout at my television. (laughs) You mean at my television? (laughs) That too. Yeah. Donnie just doesn't know when to stop. Ever. (laughs) I enjoyed Pouchy's very competent niece that they introduced in this episode. Mm Mm-hmm. With her fancy car? With her fancy car. I really liked when Allison was annoying her. Allison needed to shut up, too. The (laughs) fact that she just started over from the beginning with counting all 30,000 of the dollars that they owed them. Like, I, I thought she was great, the niece. She was pretty good, yeah. And Donnie didn't lose his nose this time, but do we think that those gloves Allison knitted for Vic might become handy in the future? Huh, handy gloves. Ha ha ha, see what I did there? <laughs> was it intentional? It was. Oh. <laughs> I know, I'm on top of it today. <laughs> I don't know if the gloves will come in handy. I hope not, for for Donnie's sake. Oh, man. And how do we think things might resolve in regards to Allison and Jason? Because of the, well, he thought it was Allison, but the whole kiss thing between Jason and Kasima. I kind of love that Allison's like, Jason kissed me? (laughs) Talking to Kasima. Are his lips still really soft? (laughs) Well, but I mean, just the phrase that, or the, just the fact that she phrased it. Jason kissed me? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, surprised. Such was his intent. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I'm not sure where that's going to go. I'm a little concerned. Just because of Allison's reaction, where she didn't seem displeased about it. Mm -hmm. And then I started wondering, like, maybe it's a good thing that it was Kasima instead of Allison. Because that way Allison can, like, not be caught up in the moment. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. This gives her a chance to think about it. Think about how she's going to respond to him and react and not maybe pull another Chad incident and do something she perhaps will regret in the future. Yes. Because this is a thing that Allison does, right? Where she gets very sort of caught up in whatever thing and she gets maybe a little self-righteous about something and does something impulsive and maybe kind of stupid which I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but let's go ahead and talk about it, I guess. (laughs) She tells her mom that she's a clone. Just to piss her mom off. She had no further endgame than that, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think so either. And poor Cosima gets dragged into the middle of it, and Cosima's like, no, no! (laughs) Do not do this to me. Oh, and I don't blame her. I don't blame her. That was not that was not very kind of of Allison to pull Kasima in the middle of her family drama. Kasima is technically family though, so Well, she's not Connie's family. No, I know. Well, she kind of is. No. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm all for an inclusive definition of family, but no. Connie would not think of her as such. Well, no, Connie wouldn't think of her as such, but Therefore not Connie's family. Okay. I'm just saying, transitive property. Never mind. 
See, we're both persnickety, just in different ways. (laughs) I know. But Francie made a good point that the music in this episode where Allison is standing up to her mother in Bubbles is the same music cue that they use during the intervention in season one. So I think you are you are correct in wanting to compare how Allison just kind of boils over and reacts in these particular moments. Yeah, she she does these this thing where she makes these very defiant moves by which I kind of mean make everything way worse <laughs> when she feels confronted. Mhm. Yeah, like like at the intervention. And again here with her mother and yeah. It's like, you know what? Things are so bad, I'm just going to make them worse. (laughs) Take that. (laughs) So yeah, I'm sincerely wondering what the consequences of this are are going to be. Do we believe that Connie... I I believe Connie's reaction, that she didn't know about the clone business and that she is just so self-absorbed that she would want to... Relate it back to her, like, oh, I'm sure something terrible happened to me where, you know, this thing that I wanted to do for my daughter or somebody else got the same sperm donor and and that's what happened. So I, I can see her not wanting to confront that potentially messy of a truth and try to explain it away. So I, I think her reaction is genuine. But what do you think? Do you think she knows more than she's letting on? It, probably not. I think it is more just Connie going into serious denial. Right. But it's Orphan Black, so there's always like that sliver of possibility that there's something more nefarious going on. But from what we've seen, I'm leaning towards Connie didn't know anything and is just, yeah, as you say, rather self-absorbed. Yeah, she was, she was odious. She was odious not quite in a way I was expecting in regards to Allison's mother, but she was definitely an odious human being. She is not a great person. But it is one of those things where you're kind of like, oh, so much about Allison makes so much more sense now. Yes, it does. Poor Allison. <laughs> so how do you feel about the direction they went with, with Allison's mother? I don't know. I don't know. Or how do I feel in what way? I'm I'm confused. In regards to the characterization that they went with. I don't know. I guess it is more or less what I was expecting, but yeah, like a little bit a little bit nastier, I think, than I thought they were gonna go. Yeah. And I thought she would be a lot more passive aggressive than she was. There was definitely passive aggressiveness in there, but I thought she would be more passive-aggressively awful than just overtly awful the way that she was. Mm-hmm. Or, like, comedically awful or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but she was not a lot of laughs out of that character. It was mostly just, oh my god, she's awful to Allison and Donnie. Allison and Mr. Chubbs. Which you mentioned that they had revealed in the Orphan Black comics that that was Donnie's name before he and Allison got married so you were you were in on the not quite the joke but you were you were in on the reference before she revealed that fact and and i like it because it works as it sounds like she's just calling him a nasty name but then it has even more context later in the episode when she is talking about how she didn't respect donnie the minute he agreed to change his last name 
Which she insisted he do. Yeah, that was actually the scene in the comic book was there's a flashback. There are a lot of flashbacks in the comic. And one of them is, you know, Allison and Donnie meeting up with her parents and her mom like insists that he take the Hendrix name rather than Allison becoming Allison Chubbs. I'm curious if Donnie in the comic seemed like he thought it might actually be a good idea, that he didn't mind the idea of changing his last name. I honestly don't recall right now. Okay. I need to go reread it. Because from Donnie's perspective, especially given his physique, and it could be he wasn't always chubbier, but given his physique, I that as we see now, I would I could see where he would think, you know, that might not be a bad idea. <laughs> I've maybe gotten some teasing for my name or some stickers behind my back about my name in the past. Yeah, that's a name that you just kind of don't want to have unless you're, you know, svelte or super buff or something. Or maybe you could make it work for you even if you are heavy, if you opened like a barbecue restaurant and you were like, Mr. Chubbs Barbecue. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy how you just said that. Or some kind of all-you-can-eat buffet. or you, I, you could make it work for you, but I feel like in Donnie's case, that was not a name that would have worked for him very well. Yeah, probably not. Being being a bit of a screw-up as he is. Yes, yeah. I do love Donnie, but let's be honest, he's a bit of a screw-up. Yeah, yeah. I also was not expecting the melodramatic, oh my gosh, I'm having a heart attack and dying aspect to Allison's mother's personality. Yeah, I was going to ask you, do we think that she was genuinely having a panic attack? I don't think so. I... Yeah, I, I don't think so. I think she was faking, just like Allison thought she was. Okay. Because, like, I, I I just wasn't sure. Like, is she actually having some sort of issue? Or is she just playing up the drama, being a drama queen to, you know, manipulate Allison? Because I could see it being either way. Oh, it also was further explained in this episode why Allison thought to buy bubbles as a storefront for the drugs because her mother wants to retire to Florida, it sounds like. Mm. So it could be she was considering selling the store anyway, and Allison knew that and thought, oh, that'll work. Mm -hmm. I could be interpreting too much into that line, but she did make mention of when they went to take the paper tour of, of, you know, retirement home in Florida or something like that. We should probably also mention Connie is actually played by Sheila McCarthy, who is mother of Mackenzie Donaldson, who is associate producer on the show. She's John and Graham's assistant. She's also the standard co-host on the Clonecast podcast. That is true. Which you should go listen to if you like behind the scenes info. They've got lots of good, lots of good behind the scenes knowledge. Yeah, every week they bring in somebody from the production team. So last week they had in Dylan Bruce, because it was a big episode for him last week, obviously. But they've also talked to the makeup designer and an editor. But they, they try to give us give you good behind-the-scenes information. We also got an email from Tom, and Tom says, What I didn't like was that Connie, Allison's mom, seemed too much of a stereotype. Drama queen, manipulator, hypochondriac. Sheila McCarthy is a wonderful actress, but I think that the writing let her down a bit. She did a great job with what she had, and the total denial about clones was hilarious. 
I'm wondering if we're going to see more of Allison's mother or if this is all we're going to get. Yeah. I guess that's that's part of my curiosity about where they're going with this, too, because now that they've told her about the clones, like, is she going to stay in denial? If she stays in denial, she doesn't really have to come back, right? There's no need yeah. for it. Right. But if she takes some action, like, this is a good opportunity <laughs> to cause some drama. So I guess we'll see. Because it does seem like she was really seriously in denial about it and would maybe be happy to just not ever think about it again. Yeah, that was my impression as well. So if they brought her back, I feel like they could perhaps develop her further from a fairly shallow presentation that we've had. But it could be that's all there is to Allison's mom. Right. We are at a bit of a crossroads. Like, it could go either way, I feel like. And the way that Allison reacts to what she suggests in regards to Donnie, basically saying, someday you'll come to your senses like I did and realize you need a better husband or no husband at all. And that was what made Allison blow her top, essentially, and, and bring Kasim out to try to really shock her mother. Since she did act that react that strongly to her mother, I'm wondering if that's a gauge for how she will react to Jason's advances. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, Allison still, like most of the clones, are prone to impulsive behavior, so you never know. But I do wonder if that might play a role in how she handles that situation with Jason, the fact that her mother made that comment. But which way do you think that's going to push her? I was meaning it more that she would be dissuaded from... Okay from accepting Jason's advances. I, I guess that's how I'll put it. That's kind of awkward sounding, but you know what I mean. Okay. From getting it on. <laughs> I'll put it that way. <laughs> I have no follow-up comment. <laughs> I also love that picture of Jason and Allison from high school. It's a pretty hysterical picture. I mean, Allison looks looks fine. She just looks like her in a cheerleading outfit. But he was was clearly like this Judd Nelson from The Breakfast Club. Which is so <laughs> weird because it's supposed to be the late 90s. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, at the, at the earliest, it's supposed to be the late 90s. I think they would have graduated from, from high school in 2003. So maybe they were trying to go for more of a Kurt Cobain grunge look, but he just looks like yeah, he just looks like Judd Nelson from The Breakfast Club in that photo. In 2003. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. He was a little out of date. <laughs> I just I can't even I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, also Sarah Stubbs is back. Yes, I was very happy to see Sarah Stubbs. She's just, she brightens, she makes me smile whenever she's in a scene. She's just always so excited to to be with Allison. It's kind of nice. Allison needs more people like that in her life. She does, but I feel like she is not as friendly with Sarah Stubbs as maybe would be beneficial to her. To her. Right. I loved all the little pink pom-pom hats that... Felix decided would be a good idea for them to wear at the event, a.k.a. the writers knew they needed a way to cover up Kasima's dreads, believably. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. 
That is like the only reason. Like, yeah, because like, why would Allison think? You know what I need? I need hats. I need pom pom hats. I wonder if that was less with. of Felix's idea and more that Allison just knitted a bunch of them when she was bored one day. It was like this is a great idea, knitted hats. <laughs> but but she wouldn't have because it's a it's a fine knit. Like that would have taken forever, unless she has a knitting machine. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I love that you could provide us knitting insight, Chris. I'm just saying, like, if it was a chunky knit hat, sure, maybe Allison made them, but no, that was... Do you know how many <laughs> stitches would be in those hats, Stephanie? <laughs> we need to get a drop for you that's like some sort of news anchor. Boop, 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 boop. And here is Chris Quad with our knit report. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> it was a very odd campaign choice. I mean, it was cute. I guess maybe the thinking was that it would be identifiable who her campaign workers were. Mm, but mm -hmm. it, yeah, it's just a strange choice. I thought Felix looked adorable in it. He was really the only one who looked really good in the hat. <laughs> but Felix looks good in most things. I did like his little campaign manager outfit the suit less of a less of a yachting look this time when he came to the suburbs right oh speaking of felix allison spilled the beans about the drug dealing to felix i figured he would be the first person she would tell outside of of donnie because that's what she did when it came to ainsley true he is sort of the most trusted i guess being sort of allison's only real friend <laughs> Do we think Felix will tell the others in Clone Club, or will he keep the info to himself? Hmm. I think he'll try to keep it to himself, but then maybe at some point he will get frustrated with Allison and will blurt it out. I don't know that that'll happen, but it's a possibility. I'm just throwing it out there. What do you think? I I'm inclined to agree, or Sarah will force it out of him somehow. Could be. I feel like Felix wants to be a good secret keeper, but isn't the best at it at times. That's fair. I can't name specific incidences as to why I think that, but for some reason, that's my impression of him. I could also see a situation in which Felix would feel like he needs to tell Sarah just so Sarah has that information. Mm, yes, that's very plausible as well. But we did have this week Allison's more separate storyline getting pulled back into the clone storyline a bit more with Kasima showing up with her. And it was nice, I thought, to see Allison and Kasima interact more. Like, it's interesting if you th go back and think about season one, they were the first members of Clone Club, but we don't see them interact all that much in season one. That is true. Yeah. We see, and they have a phone conversation, maybe two. In season two, the only one I can think of off the top of my head is the one where Allison is panicking about Donnie and warning Cosima about Delphine and ends by saying, unless Delphine black bags you, in, in which case I'll never see you again. You know? Right. <laughs> but I can't think of any other time because it's mostly Cosima and Sarah talking about things that Allison can't handle. So long story short, it's been nice to see kind of two of the original members of Clone Club talking more this season. Right. I think we got a scene earlier this season where 
they were having a phone call also, sort of like checking in with each other. Mm-hmm. And it is nice. And I, I kind of loved how Allison had her speech where it was very clearly influenced by what had been going on with Clone Club mm-hmm. and with Kasima doing that for Allison, even though she really clearly didn't want to. <laughs> yeah. And was terrible at it. Was terrible. She said she was a lesbian <laughs> when she was supposed to be pretending to be Allison. She was Supporter. terrible. lgbtq supporter (laughs) but there's that awkward pause (laughs) oh kasima you were so bad at it (laughs) i did also this is sort of hilarious and ridiculous but it became very clearly clear to me when kasima was supposed to be allison and I'm, I mean, like, I'm aware that Kasima does this, but it's one of those things that somehow it's more pronounced when she's not supposed to be Kasima. But, like, Kasima has a completely different walk than Allison. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, like, it's one of those things, like, intellectually, you know this, but mostly it's, like, because Alan, Allison is so sort of rigid and precise. <laughs> but, like, Kasima has, like, a little bit of more of a hip sway. Oh, yeah. Totally. She almost has a drunken walk. She has a very (laughs) loose way of moving her hips when she walks. It amuses me that you just described it that way. (laughs) Oh, I also, though, appreciated uh, Tom in the email that he sent us. I'm going to play off of what he said, but can we can we call Kasima dressing up as another clone quite literally cosplaying? No? Okay, nobody laughed except <laughs> Chris gave me a pity laugh. That's fine. I'll take it. I think I maybe have seen COS dash playing or something. It seems like I might have possibly seen that. I'm sure you did. On the Tumblr. The Tumblr exactly. contains all things, but I am not on the Tumblr very frequently. That is true. So speaking of Kasima. As we often do. As we often do. We got a couple of people writing in with some very similar feelings about Kasima this week. Both Aaron and and Nikki were frustrated with Kasima's actions this week. And here's what Aaron said. I don't like how Kasima is acting when it comes to people calling her out on her lack of presence at Dyad. I understand her wanting to stay away because the place is mixed with her feelings for Delphine, but ignoring the science and the cure she needs to be focusing on just feels like a really bad move. The changing of P made no beneficial sense. I can understand not wanting to give the P to Delphine, but why not give it to Scott? Well, I guess in response to that last point, Delphine made it pretty clear last week that everything that gets processed through the lab, she'll know about eventually. (laughs) Right. So it really doesn't matter. You know, Kasima wouldn't feel like, oh, Delphine won't be spying on me if I give it to Scott. But... I will say I, I I think I had more sympathy for Kasima this week than than Nikki and Aaron did. How about you? Yes, but I, I think that's been true of this entire season. <laughs> there are a lot of people who have been very frustrated with Kasima, but I feel like I understand where Kasima is coming from, even if all of her actions aren't necessarily rational. You know what I mean? Like I, I have compassion for Kasima, is what I'm saying. <laughs> I think. While it's fair to say that Kasima was acting a bit 
petulant, childishly petulant toward Delphine in this episode. I feel like Delphine was guilty of some of the same. Mm-hmm. Because I can al- well, I can also see where Kasima's alarms would be raised about the fact that Delphine showed up at Che's apartment and is all being very insistent about getting a urine sample. That would raise some warning alarms for me if I were Kasima and I had the history with with Dyad that I had. So I can understand her being a little wary. But let's talk about the fact that Delphine showed up at Shay's apartment out of the blue, and she wasn't necessarily supposed to know that she was dating her or where she lived. Yeah, we don't really know what the deal is there. Like, we don't know what they've talked about. I suppose it's possible that she checked with Scott and Scott maybe said that, but I don't know why Scott would say something, but I don't know. And also, like, Shay answered the door, but was sort of standing in the doorway, holding the door, (laughs) and Delphine, like, just enters, right? She just sort of pushes past Shay into the apartment, which is also kind of not cool. No. It's rude. Her actions to me in this episode seem very much like a power trip, as Kasima described it, because Delphine is not dumb. We all know Delphine is not dumb. If her end goal was to get Kasima to give her a urine sample, she must know she'd be more likely to comply if it was Scott who asked her for it. That is probably true, yeah. Her showing up like that. It felt very much to me like she was saying, I know who you are. I know where you are. Look how hot I am. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Is that what she said? (laughs) A a little bit. I, you know, Donnie did some peeing on his territory in this episode. I feel like Delphine did a little of the same. I think that's, that's fair. So it's interesting to me this season, we see Delphine... And I think her her good intentions, her concern for Kasima are still very apparent. Mm-hmm. And I don't think she was unreasonable wanting to get a urine sample from Kasima. I'm sure it was needed. As we saw by the end of the episode, I'm sure it was needed. But she's far more kind of arch and maybe even sinister in this season than she ever was in season one, in my opinion. I agree. Yeah. And part of it is how much the dynamics have shifted the power dynamics and whatnot. Cause clearly in season one, you know, Leaky was the one who was really in charge of things. And so I think we had this whole sense of sympathy for Delphine because clearly she was sort of at the mercy of Leaky to some extent. And now she's sort of where Leaky had been and things are weird now. <laughs> So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Her clothes are all black and white now. Yeah. <laughs> Her hair is straight. It's confusing. Yeah. This is actually, this is, this is a, a thing I noticed this week. And maybe I'd sort of, I'd been aware of it before, but I hadn't actively thought about it. But I kept thinking about how vastly different Shay and Delphine seem to me this season, right? Mm-hmm. They're very different. <laughs> but then I was thinking, but think about season one, Delphine, you know, mm-hmm. grad student Delphine. Mm-hmm. To me, grad student Delphine and Shay are not that different. 
not not really. Obviously, their interests are different. Perhaps their their worldviews are different. Right. Shay coming from a holistic view and Delphine coming from a science view. But personality-wise, n- not really all that different. There's a more similar vibe to them. <laughs> Let's yeah. put it that way. I no, I agree. I can see I can I can see the similarities. I'm just saying. Like I can see how like okay, Cosima was interested in grad student Delphine and Cosima's interested in Shay. Like that makes sense to me. Cuz yeah, Delphine has changed this season. And I know it's necessary, but anyway, you see what I'm saying though, right? <laughs> I do. And I I'm finding Delphine's transformation interesting but i really wish we were getting more of her because just these these like bursts of cold delphine it's really hard to i i feel very disconnected from delphine this season and and that's probably intentional i was gonna say i'm pretty sure that's by design but i i just i wish we were getting more of delphine this season i said it before i'll say it again i'm hoping we'll get more in the next three episodes Lots of Delphine at the end of the season, because especially since she is so changed this season, I just I want more of her on screen, even if she's still not acting like puppy Delphine. I, I want to see more of what her situation at work is like that she feels like she needs to put on this persona. If it is a persona, I hope it's a persona. Exactly. It, it feels like here's what I'm thinking they're doing. It seems like they're going to do sort of, you know, obviously she's doing something that we're not seeing. I think that's pretty clear, right? Mm-hmm. But I want to know what it is. And I think we're going to find that out. I think that's going to be part of the big reveal towards the end of the season, right? Mm. Like, here's here's what Delphine has been up to all season behind the scenes with right. probably bringing in Topside again, just because... They keep referencing Topside, but we haven't really seen much of Topside. Right. So I feel like that's going to be something that's going to play into the last few episodes of the season. Right. Because Delphine knew about Helsinki, that the killing of several clones over the course of just a few hours, just a couple of days, I think. Perhaps they'll reveal, and here's this other big piece of information that Delphine became privy to, and that's what she's been working on, and because she knew it was this threat to Kasima and the other Lita clones. So I, I do think that they could give us better context for Delphine's behavior in a future episode, uh, but I, I'm, I just keep wondering every week, seeing how Delphine and, and Kasima are interacting, will they be able to repair their relationship after this? Yeah. I really don't know. It's going to depend on a lot of things, I think. Because, I mean, logically, Delphine now being in a higher position of power would have more information than she's ever had before. Right. And based on what we know about Delphine, it seems very likely that she's keeping that close to the vest in the interest of keeping everybody safer. <laughs> Obviously not safe, but safer, right? The less you know, the less reason Dyad has to come after you, or whatever. Do we think that's fair? I th- absolutely think that's a fair reading of the situation. So again, big reveals later, I think, once things get sorted. Slash, I hope that's what happens. 
going back to the urine sample, because I've been thinking about it as we've been talking. That sounds so weird that I've been thinking about a urine sample as we've been talking, but I have been. Such as talking about Orphan Black. <laughs> I will it, I will say that it is unclear in the episode whether or not Scott had asked Kasima for a urine sample beforehand, because when Kasima calls him after Delphine shows up, he does seem to launch into, Kasima really need that urine sample pretty quickly without much context, if I'm remembering correctly. So it's possible Kasima was just being difficult before now anyway. So I will go ahead and say that before we get emails. <laughs> But as to how the storyline concluded with that moment between Kasima and Allison, where Allison says to Kasima, you know, we we depend on diet for our health. Mm -hmm. How did you feel about that moment and how, because that seemed to deflect to diffuse Kasima a bit to get her to realize that asking Allison for that was wasn't the best course of action. I have to say I'm kind of with Allison in this. Just because, you know, it seems like Kasima had just gotten, like, really into this mode of, you know, like, I'll show them, <laughs> as mm-hmm. as all the clones do, right? I mean, this is this is part of their impulsive behavior. And I don't know what it was Kasima thought she was going to do with giving them Allison's pee instead of hers. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I'm unclear as to what her end goal was. And I wish the writers had actually made it a little more clear what her intent was in swapping the urine. Right. I mean, I don't know. Like, was she afraid of what they'd find if they had her sample? I don't, I don't know. I'm a little confused about what her plan was here. That didn't really make sense. So my only thought was that she thought they weren't actually looking at what they said they were, that Instead of wanting her urine because they were examining the misfolded proteins, they were cooking up something else, and she she wanted to see what they would say in regards to getting Allison's urine sample, if they would make believe like they were actually investigating the her protein. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> maybe she thought they were up to something besides what they said they were. That's my only thought about what she intended to reveal by switching them. Hmm. But that's okay. that's a thin theory, I admit it. Well, because it's just, you know, I think part of the thing, too, for Allison, right, is that they know Kasima's sick, so there's always this risk that the other clones will also get sick. Mm-hmm. And so it is important for them, for all of them, to figure out what it is that's wrong. So... As invasive as all of this is for Kasima, it is something they all need. So I just, I don't know. I mean, I understand why Kasima's hesitant to do any of this, just because, you know, it is so much of her existence this past season and a half, you know. It it gets wearisome, I'd imagine, but is wearisome the word I want? I think it works. Okay. Yeah, I do think that Allison's comment in that moment was a reminder that Kasima needed that while it is her going through these experiences, she is not the only one that this disease could potentially affect. But at the same time, I did have a moment where I thought Allison's statement 
rubbed me a little bit the wrong way just because I don't know that Allison quite understands how much Dyad has put Cosima through the ringer. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, experiences attached with Dyad has really put Cosima through the ringer in regards to her illness. Right. And how she was very much used as a, as a pawn last season. Yeah, it is one of those things, like, I don't know how much Allison knows about all of that either. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it's it's easy for Allison to say, well, I let Donnie take my blood pressure and tell, told him about my menstrual period this this evening, but that's not really much in regards to what Kasima has been through. Right. So I did have that thought, though I, I, I don't think Allison is wrong in saying what she said, but I, I did have a moment of thinking, well, does she really have all the context in regards to what Kasima has been through? Probably not, but that yeah. doesn't, it's one of those things like, Maybe she shouldn't have said what she said, but the point is still valid, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. Plus, it is that whole thing of, you know, Kasima, you're not really acting rationally, and we're all worried about you, and we want you to be well. Yeah. <laughs> Please take care of yourself. So, yeah. yeah. We've been putting it off a little bit, I guess, but <laughs> there was that very upsetting ending scene with Kasima in the bathtub. And the uh, cranberry juice again. And the cranberry juice again. <laughs> Actually, Francie sent us an email, and she called it rambling, but I think it's hilarious, and I love it, so I'm going to read it. <laughs> okay. Go she for said, it. well, let's get this over with. Kasima! And then a lot of exclamation points. Yes. We all knew something like this would happen, right? But still, I was shocked by the scene. And for my own sanity, I decided to pretend that it was just ketchup or a Bloody Mary. I guess the Bloody Mary would make more sense. I don't really see a scenario where Cosima would eat ketchup while she's taking a bath. (laughs) But then I'm thinking, really, is talking about a Bloody Mary any better? (laughs) No, not particularly. So let's call it tomato juice. She spilled some tomato juice in the tub is what happened. Oh. But that recurrence, that specific recurrence of her symptoms, it is tying to what we've heard of how the castor illness affects women when they transmit it to them through sex. Disconcerting. Mm -hmm. It is thoroughly disconcerting. And I think I, was I just talking to you? I can't remember now. If it was a conversation we had, or if it was a recording conversation we had, but like I, I feel at least a little reassured, a little reassured that Kasima isn't alone. At least, like at least there's somebody there with her. So, as upsetting as the scene is, at least there's somebody there with her. So I, you mean Shay? I do mean Shay. Okay, <laughs> Shay is with her. So at least there's some sense of safety or comfort there. Because Shay was, like, comforting her, and I feel like Shay will take care of her and, you know, get her help if she needs help. So, because I think that's sort of another recurring thing, right, is people who are in danger and alone. Because that's how we start off the season with Helena. Helena had been isolated. So that was sort of more upsetting to me. <laughs> Just because somebody go help her, <laughs> you know? And then Sarah gets left alone at the compound later, and somebody go back and save her. (laughs) Anyway. And when Gracie started to hemorrhage and has her miscarriage, she was alone and clearly not wanting to tell her mother about it. So 
yeah, we've had several times where something terrible is happening to somebody and they have no one there to comfort them. Right. Because at least when Gracie started to have the symptoms again later, she was with Mrs. S and Felix, who then immediately called in help. So Mm -hmm. again, I just I feel better when there's somebody there. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And it was it was also sad because it was a sweet moment between Kasima and Shay happening before that happened. And I a I want to point out that I thought it was really sweet when when Shay was taking like handfuls of water and dripping them over Kasima's shoulder as she was talking. I thought that was a sweet moment. It was, yeah. Uh, but I'm curious what you think about Kasima tells her about the respiratory illness. Obviously. Do you think had the tomato juice incident not happened, would Kasima have told her anything else, i.e. that she's a clone? No. Okay. Not yet. I don't think they're there yet. You think she's saving that for much later? If she tells her, it would be later, yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, the the whole situation with Allison's mom had just happened, and Mm -hmm. Kasima clearly didn't want that to happen. (laughs) Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how you'd lead into that. Yeah. That's my impression, too, but they were still very clearly mid-conversation when that happened. So I was left wondering how much more Kasima would say in regards to things that she hasn't told Shay about yet. Right. Yeah, I don't think she would have said anything about that yet. I think one big, huge reveal, big and huge, that's right, (laughs) (laughs) one big reveal would be enough. Gotta gotta process that first. <laughs> oh, by the way, I'm a clone. <laughs> <laughs> so this episode, really, I feel like it's time. I've been kind of hesitant to do it because I know tensions are running high in in Clone Club in regards to Kasima's new love interest. But I think after seeing this episode, it'd be time for us to talk about Kasima and Delphine, as well as Kasima and Shay kind of next to each other, not in a threesome situation, which is what I realized it kind of sounds like I just described, but that's not what I meant. (laughs) I did not think that's what you were describing, but okay. But also I knew where you were going with this, so I don't know. (laughs) That's that. I apologize. (laughs) And let me first start by saying I know tensions are running high in regards to the introduction of this new character. I am not taking sides. I don't know that Chris is really taking sides in this discussion. We are just talking about what has been presented to us thus far. I like both of them. I I like them both. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I like them both. Quite honestly, I like them both. I like all three parties involved. Yes. Can't we all just get along? (laughs) But it struck me, this episode, the very naked scene between Kasima and Shay. It was pretty nude. It was pretty nude, and it seemed to be there mostly to introduce the fact that Shay had a bug, so when Kasima came rolling up in one, we'd know where she got it. <laughs> also, now we know that Kasima's belly has been claimed in the name of Spain. <laughs> <laughs> but we have this really naked, sexy moment between the two of them. And like in the last episode, there were a couple of just very sexy moments between the two of them. And it got me thinking about those intimate moments that we've seen between Kasima and Shay and the intimate moments that we've seen between Kasima and Delphine and how very different they are. Yes. Because as we've talked about, Kasima and Delphine have sort of, especially in season two, mind you, they're, they're sort of these very intimate moments, but they're always 
somehow involved in science and medical stuff. And yeah, Shay and Kasima have had sort of like cute, sexy moments. That seem to be more or less just that. They're just yeah. these cute, sexy moments between two people. Uh, because even prior to season two, with all of the medical procedures, thinking back to the first time Kasima and Delphine sleep together in Entangled Bank, you know, I, I lament about the fact that they're wearing bras in bed and it bugs me, but it's actually kind of appropriate for that scene if you think about it, because there's still a barrier between the two of them. Delphine, they're, neither one of them are being completely honest with each other. Like, we know that they both have secrets that they haven't told each other. Right. There's a layer of deception there. Mm-hmm. So... For sure, Kasima hasn't told Shay all of her secrets, but I feel like in their relationship, there's less of a overt attempt to deceive her and more just, I don't know this person very well yet. I'm going to ease her into these big things that are happening in my life. I think that's fair. But it could be. They're just setting me up <laughs> so that Shay is revealed to be the biggest spy of them all. And I'll be like, no. And over people over here in fandom who are suspicious for, of her from the beginning will be like, ha! That is exactly what will happen. Exactly. So those are my thoughts about the the intimate moments between the two the two couples. I, I really am finding the, these dynamics interesting because I feel like they both have a whole a, a lot of chemistry, but it's so very different the the chemistry that Tatiana has with Evelyn versus the chemistry she has with Ksenia. Mm-hmm. It is interesting, and it it does seem to be based heavily, or at least to some extent, to me, the relationship dynamics are, are different, is what I'm trying to get at here. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, the, they are different, though. Like, that's sort of the point, isn't it? That yeah. the Cosima Delphine thing is so heavily involved in the science. And the clone conspiracy and all of that stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on there. That complicate things. They complicate things a lot. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, could be seen as a benefit because Kasima obviously is hesitating to tell Shay that she's a clone. But Delphine, on the other hand, is all wrapped up in that. And so it wouldn't be something she couldn't be honest with her about. You know what I mean? So it's it complicates the relationship, but at the same time, could prove easy, more easy in some regards. It's an interesting way it depends on how you think of it i think right because it does i mean obviously it's complicating things i mean it's getting in the way mm-hmm. now right obviously right this is the only reason that delphine had to break up with her right but at the same time you know there's no dishonesty about that because that was the whole reason that delphine ended up in her life in the first place right <laughs> you know it's it's complicated mm-hmm but then, you know, the whole thing with Shay, the point of the relationship seems to be that it is a little bit easier in that sense. Yeah. Because there isn't all this stuff. It's not It's not a fraught relationship. Yeah. Which I think is what also is being communicated with these more on-the-nose intimate moments. There's, there's not something else going on there at the same time. They just are what they are, from what we can tell. Right. It it's able to be a little bit more fun just because there's not this underlying sense of dread because it's not like 
the science has no place within the relationship, or at least it hasn't so far. Things might change because of the end of this episode. Yeah. But what will it mean when and if Kasima is able to tell Shay that she's a clone? Will, would she ever be able, feel comfortable to tell her that part of her, her life? So, yeah, it, it's, I find it, it kind of interesting, honestly, this little love triangle that they've got going. And I don't always often find love triangles interesting, but this one has kept my attention so far. Same here. So shall we move on to probably my, like, maybe my favorite pairing in this episode, surprisingly, who, uh, Scott and Rachel. I find it very interesting that it is your favorite pairing in the episode. I know, but they were just so interesting together. It is this sort of weird dynamic of, like, one of our favorites and one of our least favorites. (laughs) Yes. And I think this is really the best... One of the best glimpses we've gotten of post head wound Rachel. Mm-hmm. Because it was clear to me that though we see Rachel struggling with her speaking abilities, obviously her, her physical abilities are, I've also been affected. She's still using, having to use a wheelchair. Her, there's still stuff going on in there. She's still a sharp person. Right. I loved that she's the one who was like, Oh, we can use the board game as a way to cover for talking about Island of Dr. Moreau. Mm-hmm. Rachel knows what's going on. And I must admit, I felt a little dumb because I didn't read the closing moment of the show correctly, I think, when she's, when Scott asks her what the code says and she says, I, I'll only tell Sarah. I thought she was saying that's what the code said. <laughs> oh. And I... And I was thinking, oh no, everything's lost. Duncan's dead, and he can't tell can't tell Sarah. But uh, that's probably not what she meant. No, Rachel's trying to. She's she's making a, a power play a little bit here, like a a demand. She's making a demand. So see, sharp cookie. Like she's she's on the ball enough to know that she needs to leverage the information that she has. And I'm curious what she wants with Sarah. Yeah, I was wondering about that, too. Is it another one of those things where she's just... Because Rachel really seems to have a bone to pick with Sarah. Mm-hmm. Which is why I'm worried. <laughs> yeah, right. But then I also don't know how much Rachel knows about what's been going on. Because last she heard, or last we saw of her hearing any of this, is when Felix came in and was trying to get information from her so that he could save Sarah. Mm-hmm. So I think it's interesting. Like, does she know that Sarah is safe now? Mm. Seems unlikely. But maybe she's just betting on Sarah's ability to survive. It just seems odd if the last thing she heard was that Sarah was imprisoned or whatever, that she'd be like, I need to talk to Sarah. (laughs) No, that's uh, that's a good point. That's a completely valid point. I'm a little bit less worried about Rachel's intentions, given that she doesn't seem to be in a great position to wield much power against Sarah. She's been shut out of her position in Dyad, it seems like. Mm-hmm. But it's still Rachel, so I'm still worried a little. Well, then it's like, is she going to somehow try and leverage Sarah with Dyad? Like, I'll tr- I'll give you Sarah if yeah, you'll do X basically. for me. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. And I guess she can't necessarily... Well, no, I don't know. I'm just confused at this point, really. 
But also, like, okay, so Scott hands Rachel the pencil to work on the code, but he hands it to her, like, <laughs> with the pointy end. And I'm just like, that kind of seems like a jerk move, Scott. <laughs> did she react to it? She did. Okay, I did. I think I forgot that that happened. There was a look. She kind of pointedly looks at the pencil and sort of pointedly looks at him. Oh, I do remember that now, because I remember thinking, even with one eye and a big chunk of her face obscured, that Tatiana Maslany was really great at still communicating and and through her facial expressions. So I do remember that now. It was kind of a disdainful look. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although I've got to got to point out that, you know, she had her head wrapped. There was like a bandage around her head over the the gauze over her eye. Mm-hmm. And now it's just like the gauze pad taped over her eye. So mm-hmm. there's indication of healing. This is kind of jumping back to Delphine a bit, but it is related to Rachel. I took note of the very chilling cue of music that came on when Delphine popped her head into the lab. When, when Scott was in there and she was like, Rachel, it's her, it's Rachel's turn to have blood drawn, etc. Did you notice that music cue? I believe so. Yeah, it reminded me of back in season two, I believe it's episode 202, where Delphine and Kasima are smooching in Kasima's lab. And then Rachel shows up and there's like this, this music cue that plays and it has almost like this alarm sound in it. It's kind of like... Mm-hmm. And while Delphine's cue was not the same, it kind of had the same effect on me. And I, I, yeah, it just stood out to me for that reason. Delphine now has a scary cue. That makes me sad, Chris. I know. <sighs> Come back, puppy. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think that's part of the, the thing, though, right? Because at the end of season two with the... Dream Delphine and I will never leave you. And then the first time Kasima and Delphine talk in season three, I have to break up with you, Kasima. <laughs> That's gotta hurt, right? It, yeah. Ouch. I will never leave you and I'm gonna leave you. Hi, Chris and Stephanie. It's Lisa again. Uh, just a few thoughts about this past episode. Um, first, Mrs. S, it was great to see her being a mom to Sarah and Helena. Um, they both really need somebody to take care of them right now, so I'm glad she showed up instead of Benjamin. And um, regarding her talking to Helena, it was really refreshing to see someone say, you know, hey, I messed up. I did this, but it was wrong, and I'm really sorry because, you know, so often people don't take responsibility for their actions. So um, I think that probably really resonated with Helena, who, you know, she doesn't put up with a lot of stuff. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about was Scott, um, the move James Bond, showing Rachel the book. But was that a good idea in the long run? Um, they'll get the information they need, get the book decoded. But Rachel has essentially had a lobotomy thanks to the pencil, and we don't even really know yet what she's going to be like and whether she can be trusted. And does she have a goal other than to get out of dyad? And if she does get out of Dyad, where does she plan to go? Um, she seems like she's lived her whole life there, and she basically has no family. The Duncans are gone, and, um, you know, she really has no friends that we've seen. So I'm curious. I understand her wanting to get out of there, but I'm just curious what she plans to do if she gets out. So um, things aren't looking too good for Kasima. I hope this is 
not some serious foreshadowing. But I can't wait to see next week's episode to find out. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. So we had this conversation when we were watching the episode about that confrontation between Helena and Mrs. S and about the fact that Mrs. S hits her. And I was wondering if you thought that Mrs. S could have gotten through to Helena without hitting her. Possibly, but from what we've seen of Helena, it seems like it's maybe something that needed to happen. And I think from the reaction we get, it did. Because I've seen some people commenting on the fact that Mrs. S says, you know, we're your family, et cetera, et cetera. But these are things that Helena has said or that has heard from other people trying to sway her to their side. She's heard those things before. So what got through to her this time? I kind of think it's like a combination of things. Because what happens, There's here's the sequence, right? Helena keeps trying to fight her. Mrs. S won't fight her. Finally, I guess, getting punched in the face for, what, the third time? I think it was the third time, if not and, the fourth. And then Mrs. S, I guess, has sort of like an automatic response and hits Helena in the face and then is immediately regretful of it and wraps Helena up in a big hug and she apologizes. She tells her that I, I've got you. I think that's sort of a big thing. Like basically she, she mothers her mm -hmm. after hitting her. So I think those are sort of the big things, right? The hitting and the apologizing and the hugging and the mothering, essentially. I think that combination is like the key to diffusing Helena. Because it almost seems to me like Helena needed to see that Mrs. S could hit her, but chose not to. That she regretted that that happened and that it happened out of kind of an automatic instinct thing rather than an aggressive thing. Mm -hmm. Because we saw how aggressive Tomas was with her, throwing her into the cage and such. So I do think, oddly enough, her hitting her might have been part of what finally got through to Helena. It wouldn't surprise me. You get an email from Tom. Tom says, The change of heart by Helena towards Mrs. S happened too quickly. I would think it would take longer. Not just a few punches and a short hug but I understand the time constraints. Maybe the scene had to be cut to fit in something else. And I see what you're saying, Tom, but at the same time, well, I wouldn't call it a short hug either. It was more of a, like a motherly hold. Because, <laughs> I mean, Helena was struggling still. So it was sort of part restraint, but it was like a loving restraint, which is me nitpicking probably. But I think it's I think it's an important distinction. I really do. And I'm not sure if that is the end, their relationship is tied up in a neat, tidy little package, because I haven't seen any future episodes. I, I feel like it was more of a beginning than a conclusion. I could be wrong, but I don't know. I, I buy it, especially given the time constraints of the show and, and the efficiency that their storytelling often has. I'll buy it for, for the time being, at least. Well, and I think there was some implication that after that happened, there was maybe like a little bit of a sit down where mm -hmm. they talk some more and things like that. 
where maybe Helena was receptive to hearing what Mrs. S had been trying to tell her. You know, maybe that whole, I only did it because that was the only option I had to save Kira, you know? Mm -hmm. I feel like that especially would be something that Helena would understand. Even though, you know, still not cool, Mrs. S. But I, I feel like they have that in common, that they feel very protective towards Kira and, and you know, would at least find common ground there. And maybe I'm more willing to buy it because I, I'm still not 100% convinced that Helena's fully on board because later in that episode where Sarah comes down from having taken a shower and she's chatting with Mrs. S, I kept thinking that scene would resolve itself in them realizing that Helena had run off somewhere. <laughs> like to find Jesse or something like that. So... Obviously, I was wrong. That's not how that played out in this episode. But I don't know. I still feel like there's there's still stuff there they might explore between the two of them. But I could be wrong. Yeah, I don't know. Time will tell. Although I did like Mrs. S's comment that, oh, because uh, Sarah asked her what happened. And Mrs. S says, negotiations. Helene is out walking off the <laughs> or something, right? Yes. <laughs> walking off the negotiations. I'm curious if we'll see that bartender again. Yeah, I liked her. And she really seemed to understand Helena. Yeah, I really want to know what her story is. Because it seems like she's got a story. Mm-hmm. And how did she know Helena was pregnant? She's psychic. <laughs> well, that's that's what I'm wondering. Is there more going to be revealed there? I don't know. It's possible not, but I would like to see her again. I'm curious about her. Does she have ties to the caster people? Mm, I hope not. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I'm not saying what they are, but like, it's possible that. Oh, okay. You know, maybe, maybe some of the soldier dudes came in there at some point when they were on their way somewhere. And I mean, I don't know. I must say that when Sarah came down from her shower and was, was talking to Mrs. S, it really got to me the way that she said that Paul was gone. I, I choked up a bit to see her tell that to Mrs. S because it occurred to me that she was the first person Mrs. S was the first person Sarah told who could really understand. Mhm. Mm do do you know what I mean like she told Helena but Helena Helena's Helena. She she doesn't experience life <laughs> the the way that a lot of people do. So, well, I mean her life has been so rough. Exactly. That there's a certain amount of, like, well, that's just kind of how things go, I think, with Helena, so. Exactly. And while there is an emotional connection between Sarah and Helena, it's it's not quite that that kind where, where they could talk about something like that. I think to, to Helena, she's still figuring out Paul to a certain extent, and it's a, she has a different perspective on the whole situation. But to realize that... This was the first time Sarah was really getting to unburden herself. It, it made me choke up a bit. Yeah, it was it was a, a moving scene, and Sarah calling Mrs. S mom. And, uh. I just I really hope that we see their relationship get better. I think they they needed to have a little hug there too. Mm. In my mind, that's how that scene ended, like when they got up to leave or something. That Mrs. S sort of. Gave her a little hug. But speaking of the Caster Project, this was a Caster clone-free episode, Chris. Yes, it was. 
Is that why you liked it so much? <laughs> Maybe partially. <laughs> But more phrasing it probably more correctly, it was great having so much time with just our Lita clones. Yes, I completely agree. I don't, I don't hate the caster aspect, but I don't like it as much as when we get lots and lots of time with our characters, mm -hmm. so to speak. I was also curious about that line that Allison's mother has about Kasima. She says that girl's mulatto. And I was wondering if it might have been the writers given a little nod to Clone Club about the theory that one of Kasima's parents might be black. Possible. Always possible. And also a nod to just shaking your head at Allison's mom. Well, that too. Like, oh my gosh. And the thing is, she's using this outdated kind of racist term, and her grandkids are, are, are people of color. Like, <laughs> seriously? I don't even want to think about what Connie might think about Allison's kids. Yeah. But see, that's kind of what puzzled me about Connie, because it seems like Allison's kids spend a decent amount of time with her. Like, Allison went and stayed mm -hmm. with her mother for a time. So I'm, I'm a little confused about Connie still. Yeah. I don't know. So another random thing that may or may not be a reference to something else. In... Allison's speech. She says, I will be your mother hen, and I will keep our chicks together. Do we think this is a nod to Siobhan calling people chicken? I think so. Especially since there was the intercutting between Allison's speech and Sarah and Mrs. S. I loved that intercutting so much. Because she re most recently, I believe, called Gracie chicken. Mm -hmm. And it's like Mrs. S is establishing the the home for wayward Prolethean girls, you know, taking them under her wing and and giving them a, a loving place to stay for a time. But remember, she'd also called Allison chicken when she Allison did. was super drunk. I do remember that. And Allison was like, my mother would have me committed. And now I know that she probably wasn't remotely joking. <laughs> Dearest Clone Club, we are gathered here on this podcast to commemorate the passing of Mrs. Paul, International Badabs. We commit this crackship to the headcanon, abs to abs, bullets to bullets, plot to plot, ensure in certain hope that it will achieve eternal life in fanfic. Requiescat in Badassery. And that was my eulogy for Mrs. Paul, International Badabs. I didn't think it was appropriate to be that silly last week when Paul had just died, but I, I did want to lament the sinking of my favorite Orphan Black crack ship uh, appropriately. <laughs> With the correct amount of gravity. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Can I say that I really, really, really wanted to find a way to put at the end of it, <laughs> as a play off of In the Name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, to put in there, in the name of Tatiana Maslany, Tatiana Maslany, and Tatiana Maslany. <laughs> but then I knew I would need some sort of like, amen to conclude it, and I didn't want to offend people completely, and I couldn't think <laughs> of a good substitution the best that my partner and i come up with would maybe be timas but i didn't think it would it would 
strike people correctly if I threw that in there. <laughs> I like that you didn't want to offend people completely, just partially. Just partially Hopefully offended. they know I'm kidding. <laughs> I would think so, yeah. Uh, but if I were uh, to offend people, I, I tried to cover a wider base. I included both Anglican and Catholic aspects of the, the mass for funerals. So... <laughs> Spreading a wider offensive net. I don't know if you can hear it. I'm shaking my head at you. <laughs> I'm sure you are. <laughs> oh, dear. But also, in regards to last week's episode, we got an email from Julia, who was, was sharing her Del feelings with us, and said, I think for me the true heartbreaker for Delphine was actually the scene with the photos. She has been charged with keeping Lita safe, and in doing so, she has to monitor everyone to a certain extent, and that includes having to see her girlfriend date another woman. Ouch. It hurts. I appreciated Julia's comment because I don't know that I really thought about it in that context before. I think I was a little more focused on, oh, that's kind of creepy, Delphine. So I, I appreciated Julia's perspective. I guess I had already considered that. Yeah. that. Well, you're a nicer person than I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's one of those things like I have all the sympathy for everybody and their difficult positions. Yeah. That's, you know, yeah. it's, it's one of those things like, I think this is, well, I'm pretty sure I actually mentioned in one of the, the previous episodes that they make a really big deal on Orphan Black, I feel like, about showing that yes everybody does these things that are just not good things to do but they have at least fairly valid reasons for doing them or at least feel like they do you know what i mean mhm mm so yes there's all sorts of betrayal but it's generally coming from a good place or very often is i'll also claim the fact that i watched two episodes in a row last week part of the reason why perhaps i didn't think more intensely about this scene <laughs> excuses but you're also just nicer than I am. Okay. <laughs> That's right, I am. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and Lisa said, There's something I'm surprised nobody commented on in episode 306. At the end of 305, Gracie was writhing on the floor in pain, and her eyes were that horrible red. The next time we see her, at the beginning of 306, she's walking into Dyad like nothing happened. Did we ever get an explanation for her, for her amazing recovery? It doesn't seem like the writers to miss something like that. Lisa also mentions whether they did blood typing to make sure Rudy's blood was compatible with Sarah's. I did have that thought about the blood type compatibility with between the two bloods, but, uh, blood samples, but given that they're the clone lines are siblings... It's likely their blood types would be compatible. That's not always the case, but often. But I did have that thought. Did you think about that, too? No. no. <laughs> I don't. Well, it's one of those things I don't necessarily think about that. That's, that's not that's not one of those things that's like on my radar. <laughs> that's fair. So what about Gracie's surprisingly better condition in 306 versus 305? Did you have did that prick your warning that's that's a terrible thing did that did you <laughs> did that set off alarm bells in my mind is yeah, that what there you're we asking go. i'm having trouble with like my expressions today yeah no not really and here's why they do establish that something like i don't know if it's necessarily five days but they say that sarah has been missing for five days at that point 
So there is a reasonable amount of time that at least Gracie would be a little bit better. We saw Patty at the end of, was it 305? Yeah, it was 305. Mm -hmm. We see Patty and she has the red eyes still, but she seems to be otherwise healthy. So yeah, it didn't really strike me as particularly odd that Gracie was relatively okay. And given the epi- what they reveal in that episode about how the caster defect affects aff- affects women, at the end of the episode, it kind of made sense to me. I it, I did have that thought when she first appeared, like, oh, her eyes aren't red anymore. Hmm. But given that it seems like it, you know, the women experience some hemorrhaging and et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately, it seems like, you know, they come out more or less okay, just infertile. I I felt like that was that explained kind of why she was better from when we last saw her. Right. I mean, Patty, when we saw her, did still have the red eyes, so I don't know. Right. They could, I guess, explain that with, you know, how it affects different people a little differently. So maybe that had a part in it. Maybe Gracie just had some really good visine. I mean, I don't know. Or maybe the the red eyes are temporary, and we hadn't seen, when we saw Patty, she was still in the stage where they were prominent, but... Right. Well, that's sort of what I... Yeah. But we saw Gracie later. Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure how much uh, time had passed there, so... Yeah. But yeah, I I do feel like they sufficiently explained it. Yeah. I'm good. I'm good with what they they offered. I can wrap that up and not feel like it's an untied bow for me. But if it it still remains untied for you, that's understandable. Mm Mm-hmm. And then Lisa also asked... Do you want to read her question, Chris? (laughs) I... Okay. (laughs) Whatever. Lisa says, Okay, this one isn't directly related to the show. I've always wondered why you announce yourselves as, quote, I'm your host, Chris, and, quote, and I'm Stephanie. Why doesn't Stephanie call herself a host, too? Because I'm trying to escape editing duties. No, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I totally believe that answer, actually. It's actually kind of my fault. It's a carryover from... Drinks at the Doll, our Lost Girl podcast, which we started first before Chris and I, Chris roped me into doing this one. She was like, I really want you to watch Orphan Black and do a podcast with me. Well, she didn't say it like that, but. I kind of did. (laughs) So I had already started saying it that way on Drinks at the Doll. And the reason I say it that way over there is I feel weird saying we're your hosts, you know, Stephanie Chris and it, whatever. And I kind of just left it up to the other two if they wanted to. Did you just to... call Annie whatever? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, oh, Annie. Stephanie, Chris, whatever. <laughs> Sorry, Annie. It's not even the sequence. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said whatever. I got thrown off. <laughs> so I left it up to Annie and Chris if they also wanted to say, and I'm your host, Danny, and I'm your host, Chris. And they chose not to. So we just kind of did it the same way over here. It's a boring answer, but that's the answer. I was answer. just following Annie's lead, so. See? So really, it's all Annie's faults. That- <laughs> Blame Annie, because <laughs> she's not here to defend herself. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's Annie's fault, why I don't say it. But I'm fine with it. I am a host, too. I just don't say it in the intro. But I'm not doing the editing. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think anybody thinks that you're not a host, so I think it's fairly clear that you are, right? Hopefully. Hopefully. I am a host. Chris is just the hostess with the mostest. 
Should I just stop saying that I'm a host? Sure, you could say I'm Chris and I'm Stephanie. Maybe that would make Lisa feel better. Shall we put it up to popular vote? No, I don't want to put it up to <laughs> popular vote. I don't think vote. enough people cared, but hopefully <laughs> that answers your question, Lisa. And we'd love to hear your thoughts about episode 307, Community of Dreadful Fear and Hate. You can go and leave a comment on the show notes over at tatianaiseveryone.com slash 76. You can send us an email to feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com, or you can call and leave a message on our listener voicemail line, 972-514-7223. You can also record a voice memo with your smartphone and email it to us. We're on Twitter at TIE Podcast, and we're also on Facebook. And in this episode, the ketchup, the Bloody Mary, and the cranberry juice were played by Tatiana Maslany. Thanks for listening.